see so many new faces, faces I've seen a uh, time or two, just everybody. Y'all look good this morning. And man, that sounded good right then. When y'all sang with the music kind of dying down, sounded, Jose, I think I heard you. It was good, man. It was good. It was good. Bishop, I heard you too. I was looking for an injured animal for a second, but it's... <laughs> just teasing, just teasing. But uh, so good to be here, and again, we want to welcome everybody. Uh, like I mentioned, today is, is one of the two weeks uh, out of this year that we will be talking about money and, and finances and generosity and that kind of thing. But listen, don't check out. Stay plugged in. I, I think God has something to say to each and every one of us. Um, but as I set this, this up this morning, I, I do want to say, I just think, you know, part of the reason that we're so uncomfortable talking about money at church is just because the church has a really bad reputation when it comes to money. It's sad that this is the state of Christianity in America, just because that some of the loudest voices in for Christianity in America have just done a lot to kind of tarnish our reputation. And, and so I, I think the church has a lot of ground to make up. Some churches have a lot of ground to make up. And, and you know, when you start talking about money, people start acting funny. It's just the truth. And, and uh, here at City Grace, I just want you to know our thinking and our soul, if you are new here, um, that we don't like to, to do this just because of the reputation. We, it's not that we don't think there should be generosity or giving. There should be, and it should all be tied to the mission of God. It should not be lining any one person's pro, uh, pro, pockets, but it should all go towards the kingdom of God. And, and, and the last disclaimer that I want to say is that around here, we don't believe that God is a genie. We don't believe that God is Santa Claus. We don't think if you give a certain offering that's like rubbing the lamp and God will guarantee you an income for the rest of you. That's, that's not Bible. I mean, you know, I, I can't guarantee you that God will always make you rich. What I can guarantee you is that God will always give you what you need. Can I hear a good amen? So right off the bat, I want to kind of dispel all those notions and, and kind of throw all that junk out of there so we can kind of get to the purity uh, of what Jesus had to teach us about money and about finances and about generosity. And I want to make a statement that I hope, uh, I hope will put some of you at, at ease as we start to talk about this, and that is very simply that God doesn't want your money. God does not even need your money. If God needed your money... He would zap you, you would be a pile of ash, and he'd take it. But I don't see anybody getting zapped right now, and so I think that God doesn't necessarily want your money. I think as I read the scripture, and as, look, as I look at what Jesus had to say about money and giving, and what the early church practiced in, in terms of giving and generosity, what I see is that God wants very much to make us into people who love doing what's important to God. This is the goal of talking about generosity and about finances in the New Testament and in the Jesus movement. I'm telling you, God is not so concerned about your 10% as God is concerned about your heart, that he wants to fall in love with what he is up to in the world. And so that's who I want us to be as a church family. I want us to, to so love those that are still far from God that we gladly... The New, the New Testament word for that is cheerfully, that we, that we gladly and cheerfully, gladfully, it's making up words today, we do and we give whatever it takes to shoulder people's load and help them come back to God. Can I hear a good amen again? See, the thing is, if I tell you you have to give 10% before you leave today, I'm scared that you're going to stop at 10%. 
What if God wanted to so bless your life that you were able to give away 30%? What if God wanted to so bless your life that you were able to give 50%? See, so I don't want to stop at 10%. I want to stop at cheerful. I want to stop at generous. And, 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 and you know, that's where we're kind of going with all this as we talk about money. And here's the danger of us talking about money or, or the way that we do things at City Grace. The, the fact is we have run a pretty good budget. I'm so uh, grateful to our elder team, our leader team, uh, Sister Lacey keeping everything running smoothly and all that kind of good stuff. We run a pretty good budget here at City Grace and we do our best to never pull on your emotions for an offering. We're not, we're not going to show you pictures of hungry puppies to get you to give to the church. It's not happening. No slow, sad music, all that kind of stuff. We don't ever want to try and make you want to give. Did you catch that? We don't want to make you want to give. And, but the danger of being conditioned to only give at certain times, the danger that we face in not regularly talking about money is that giving can then become reactionary. Your giving patterns here at City Grace can become unplanned. It's something that you do guarded and carefully, but it may not be generously. And this is what we want to address today over these next couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. This is why I want to talk about it. And this is going to be hard for some of us to wrap our brains around because you know we just kind of have these 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 ideas about giving and about the church that just kind of you know they've been with us for a long time. If you've been a Christian for a long time, but let me show you what I'm talking about. Paul was a New Testament church planner and probably the most prolific church planner in the, in, of his generation. And, and Paul would go around starting new churches all over the place in new cities. And on purpose, intentionally, Paul would not ask the new believers in his churches to give money. He would talk about money and giving with them later. He would talk about it always in terms of what God was trying to do in the bigger, wider kingdom. And he did even talk about percentage and priority giving. And we're going to talk about that next week. But Paul did not want the Jesus movement to gain a reputation of being about money. And so Paul flipped the idea upside down. And instead of gathering a bunch of people together to follow Jesus and then asking them to give money to his ministry, Paul instead made his ministry about serving the people that he was gathering to follow Jesus. And it was really beautiful. And we actually see Luke followed Paul around and Luke wrote the book of Acts in your New Testament. Uh, and, And Luke was actually there in Acts chapter 20 when Paul was saying goodbye to one of his church starts. It was in a city called Ephesus. And, and Paul was actually saying goodbye for the last time. He had left them before, but always planned to come back. Left before, but planned to come back. But this was going to be the last time that he saw these people from the city of Ephesus. And, and everyone's kind of sad, and they're there on, on the dock. Paul's ready to get on the boat and leave. This is, one of the, this is the last thing that Paul actually says to his, his believers that he had started in the church at Ephesus. And And Paul tells him, look, I'm not going to see you anymore. I'm going to be gone, but you need to be careful because because there are going to be some people come into your assembly that are going to start trying to pull you off of the mission and put you on their mission. They're going to start trying to take you away from the Jesus work and get you to support their work. But that's not how you saw me do it. That's not the way you saw me start everything. And so he tells them, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Paul's telling them, you guys remember, I worked for myself, and Paul was a tent maker, and Paul had some ministry partners, and when they first came, they didn't have jobs, didn't have occupations. Paul supported them. He didn't ask the church for money for the ministry. 
Paul supported the ministry. And then as the church grew and his companions were able to take up that trade of tent making, they were actually the ones that supported Paul. And he goes on, he says, in everything that I did, I showed you, everybody say, I showed you, that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Paul was so just, just geeked out over what Jesus was doing. Paul was so in love with the mission of the Jesus movement that he had ordered his life around giving to this Jesus movement. He was joining in in this way. He made his whole life, it wasn't a special time or a certain time, but his whole life was a mission. It was centered around giving to those that Jesus was bringing close to himself. And he says, remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul is bringing the words of the founder, the words of Jesus Christ, Jesus himself, and what he wanted his Jesus movement to be about. Paul is bringing that to life with his life. And he's given a truth and a principle that Jesus wanted every single person that follows him to know that it is more blessed or you will be more happy when you give than when you receive. Now, hands down, elbows in, anybody know a tightwad? Anybody know Scrooge, right? Don't point, all right? But we all know, tell me, are those people generally happy and cheerful to be around? Generally not. They're generally not. They can't enjoy anything. And so Paul is saying, Jesus taught us something about how how to be happy. and, And I want to be the happiest man in the world. And so I order my whole life around giving to you. I order my whole life, not around taking from you, but about giving my life away to you. And Paul just, I mean, turned his world right side up. Paul went all over the Mediterranean rim, carried the gospel straight into the teeth of the Roman Empire and started a movement that within 300 years would become the official religion of the empire that crucified its founder. And it was because of attitudes like this. It was because of generosity. When people saw Paul, they realized there's something different about what you're doing. Normally, when people are in power, they are trying to control us or trying to manipulate us, but you're doing it differently. You don't seem to want anything from us. You seem to want something for us. That's good stuff right there. And so I want that to be kind of what we do here at City Grace. I want that to to make us happy and to make us joyful as Jesus followers here at City Grace. And so if you're new to City Grace and you want to know why we're so happy all the time and why there's so much joy in in this church family, we want to share the secret and we want to invite you to be generous with us because we have just taken Jesus at his word and we found out that what he said is true, that when you give your life away, you will be more blessed than when you try and live your life taking and getting from other people. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And we really believe that. So, we only talk about money twice a year. And lucky you, you ended up showing up on one of the Sundays when we're going to talk about it today. But we want you to know, like Paul wanted his, his followers to know in his churches, that we don't want anything from you. We want something for you. And so we lead people to generosity because we believe that what Jesus says is true. Amen. And so Jesus does. He, he links money and emotion. He puts a tie between our money and our emotion. But too many of us let our money direct our emotion 
Instead of letting, or rather we let our emotion direct our money instead of spending our money and giving our money in ways that leads us to the desired emotion. We get the cart before the horse. Jesus, when he talked about money, told us which one we needed to put first, which one we needed to seek first. And the thing is, when you control where your money goes and how you spend your money, your emotions will follow. Your heart will follow your treasure. But we have all kinds of thoughts and feelings and emotions about money. We have all kinds of rational feelings and irrational thoughts and feelings about money. When I started talking about money today, when I said that we're going to talk about finances today, some of the people in the room started to feel fear or anxiety, kind of irritation. We all started to feel something. Joy. I know there were a lot of people full of joy because I was going to talk about giving today. Yeah, you heard the response on that one. There was some doubt. There was some anxiety. We're not sure where this is going. I don't know what exactly you're going to say about money, but for too many of us, the reason that we have these kind of mixed emotions is that fear and worry end up being the two most dominant emotions that we feel when it comes to money. Show of hands. Anybody in the room ever had fear or worry about money at some point in your life? Raise your hand. Yeah. The rest of y'all? We're going to talk about lying next week. No, it's just. But we do, and I'm not even saying it's your fault. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you had a medical bill. You know, I, I don't know what it was, an unexpected need or an emergency or a new pair of shoes that you really needed. I don't know what your need was, but we all have experienced fear or worry about money. And I want us to, to, to see what Jesus had to say about money and generosity, because if we can understand what Jesus thought about money and how we should handle money, it will change the way that we feel about money. If we can get the truth before the emotion, the emotions will go to where the truth wants to lead us. And we can get rid of the fear. Instead of fear, we can have confidence. Instead of our dread, we can have excitement. Instead of worry about finances, we can have peace over the things that God has blessed us with in our life. And so this is a huge part of being a Jesus follower. Jesus talked about money more than any other subject in the New Testament. It's in there, page after page and lesson after lesson. And he, he didn't, the, when he talked about it though, he did not talk about giving all your money to the church. So don't worry. I'm not here for that. That's not that message. And he was certainly not talking about being broke all the time, but rather what Jesus wanted us to see and what Jesus wanted us to feel about money and finances was a sense of peace, a complete lack of worry, a complete lack of fear when it comes to our personal finances. And, and we have that as Jesus followers, as we give him control over every, every area of our lives, even the areas of our life where we kind of find ourselves maybe a little bit at odds what Jesus had, with what Jesus had to say about something. If we can come to a point of surrendering that portion of our life, whatever portion that might be, I'm telling you that you will find peace if you'll just trust Jesus. Can I get a good amen from anybody that agrees with what I'm saying this morning? Amen. So I, wanted, I want us to look today at how to be generous. How to be generous. I do not want to teach you how to give. And right from the outset, I want to talk about this. Giving is not necessarily being generous. Just because you give or just because you have given does not mean that you are a generous person. 
And around here, again, if you look at everything that we enjoy as a church family, we have a lot of awesome givers in, in this church family. Almost everybody here in the past six months, you, you've practiced some kind of random act of giving. We, you've given to a small group need, or you know, back last year when we had the fires going on and we helped the responders, you gave to that need. We have awesome, awesome givers here at City Grace. A lot of us give in tithes. A lot of us give in offering. Everything you see has been given. But the problem is that we are so great sometimes at giving to a need that it has blocked us from the principle of being generous. We're so good at responding to an emotion. We're so good at responding to a lack that we see in somebody else that sometimes it can block us from seeing what it means to truly be generous. So today I'm not here to talk about or to teach you how to do something. I want to teach us how to be something. Today, I don't want to teach you how to give. You already know how to give. But what I want to talk about is something that we can all be. Our generosity goes way beyond emotional giving. Jesus-centered gener generosity goes way beyond random acts of giving. If you give when you feel an emotion, your giving will be random because you can't control your emotions. Most of us can't control our emotions. Most of us, our emotions are dictated by whether or not we have had coffee yet. Our emotions are dictated by whether or not we have had lunch. Right? Our, our, our emotions are dictated by whether or not that guy cut us off or stayed and waited for us to pass before he got over. Can I hear a good amen from any commuters in the house? And the emotion we feel is the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. That's what. But random acts of giving. Like, it, it's nice. It's great that you do it. But say your neighbor's car won't start and they need a repair. And so you pay for that. That's beautiful. And you gave. But that doesn't mean you're generous. That means that you have a heartbeat. Like you, you're human. You have compassion for other people. It means your, your, your kid's friends at school have holes in their jackets or need a new pair of shoes. And so you buy something for them. Or at church, you know, pastor gets up and starts talking about a spark campaign. And so you give. That's great. But that was a random act of giving. And, and I hope that we always practice random acts of giving. I hope that this is always a church where we do that. Don't get me wrong. We should always respond to a need that God impresses on our heart. But I want to lead us beyond that. Because doesn't it feel good when you give to one of those random needs? When you help somebody, doesn't it feel awesome? When you buy a kid a pair of shoes or fix your neighbor's car, isn't it one of the most amazing feelings? In the, but if that only happens randomly, then we are missing out on joy the whole rest of the time when we could have been planning for joy all along. We could have been planning to experience what Jesus told us from the beginning, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so I want to change that in us. I want us to have a new mentality and a new way of thinking when it comes to generosity and giving. So, Okay, Jared, you're, you're, you're kind of insulting us by saying we're not really generous. We only do random acts of giving. And, you know, you're here saying that when I give, it's not necessarily that I am generous. What do you mean when you say be generous? And I think that a good definition of generous would be this. You are generous when we designate resources for the elements of God's mission that stir our hearts. We are generous when we designate resources for the elements of God's mission that stir our hearts. Now notice some of the key words here. Designate. 
That means that you thought about it. That means that you planned it. That means that you looked at your paycheck and your bills and everything else and you decided this money is not going to be for anything else than what God is trying to do around me. This, this portion of my check, this portion of what God blesses me with, nothing else touches that. That has been designated for something else. I am planning to give that away. I am not going to let my emotions control where this portion of money goes. I am controlling where this money goes and my emotions will follow because heart follows treasure because where your treasure is, there your, oh, Jesus said this already, but we forget it. We forget it a lot of times. Secondly, resources. Notice I said resources. You can still be generous when you're broke. Oh, that should get a huge amen from somebody. Amen to that. Amen from any men in the room that your wife controls the bank account. Mm, yes. <laughs> You can still be generous when you're broke. Yes, it most often has to do with finances, but it could be food or a service that you can do or a skill that you have that you can give away. And then the next thing, God's mission. This is God's mission. This is God's work, what God is trying to do around us. He is the one promising happiness if we do it, so let's put him first. And then finally, what stirs our heart? What stirs our heart are things that we have experienced and we have gone through. If you've experienced broken homes, then you probably want to give extra to a family and marriage seminar. If you've experienced problems in your finances in the past, but you're doing okay now, you probably want to give to helping somebody else go through the Financial Peace University small group that we do. You see where I'm going with this? If you experienced a breakdown in, 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 in maybe your, your, your status in life and maybe you were without a job for a while or I don't know, some of us even come from backgrounds where we were without a place to stay for a while, you probably want to give to the different charities around our city. That is by design. Go with that. God wants to use your story and your testimony and your broken heart to make a difference for somebody else. But don't do it randomly. Plan. Plan for God. Make room for God to bless you so that you can give to what God has called you to be a part of. But a lot of us, most Americans, probably 90% of us Americans, we feel worry over money because we have never learned to be generous. We've never learned to be generous. I want to be very clear. We don't feel financial pressure. We don't feel financial worry because we lack money. Now, some of you want to take issue with that, right? Like, where's the line form for me to give my differing opinion? We don't feel worry about money because we lack money. 71%, this is like three years old, 71% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day. Don't tell me that your problems exist because you don't have enough money. Try telling 5.4 billion people about your problems of being broke and see what they have to say about you really being broke. Our problem is not because we lack money. We have enough money. Let me show you what the problem is. The word most associated with finances and money in America, and this is by research and by interviewing divorcees and people that have been through bankruptcy and those kinds of things. The one word, and even healthy people, I'm sorry, people with healthy financial statuses as well. The one word 
that sums up most Americans' feelings and emotions about money is this word right here. Worry. Will I ever have enough money? Am I going to have enough money for food next week or for gas? Am I going to have enough money for my house payment or my, my, my rent? Am I going to have enough money for a new car because mine's getting old? Am I ever going to be able to save some? If I, am I ever going to be able to buy a ring and propose? Am I ever going to be able to get some breathing room? Am I ever going to be able to get out of debt? I don't know. I don't know. And I'm worried and I'm worried and I'm worried. And then you think, well, you just need more money. But guess what research also shows? That people with bigger bank accounts aren't free from worry. People with bigger bank accounts have bigger worries. The more money you make, the more worried you are about money. It's the weirdest thing. You'd think that more money would free us from worries. And so you know what most of us do in response to our worry? We spend more than we make. We get a credit card. We get a charge account. We get a gas card, right? And, and maybe we get a raise. And we think, well, as soon as I get a raise, I won't have any more worry about money. But that's not what happens. We get a raise and we go out and buy a new car. We get a raise and we go buy a couch. We buy that, that pair of shoes. We, we have a little retail therapy. Can I hear a good amen? So surprise, surprise. I, I got a raise, but my spending kept up with my increased income. And so now I still don't feel like I have enough. I'm still a little bit worried. And so I get into deeper debt, credit card, second on the house. I, I'm just trying to get some breathing room, just, just want something for an emergency. And then the credit card company ends up owning our paycheck because it was an emergency that the shoes were about to go off sale. Right? It was an emergency that you had to buy. The, it was the last one. You had to buy somebody a birthday present. You couldn't show up with no gift. Good Lord, you couldn't just give them a card and a hug and tell them that you love them. No, you had to buy something for You needed that oil change right then. Man, I run my car like on 8,000 miles without changing my oil. It's fine. Oil changes are a scam. Don't listen to that. That's probably horrible advice. Don't. Don't listen to that. It was Christmas. My kids needed the latest who's going to watch it thingamajig that it's now March and they've forgotten where it is. My kids needed that toy that they played with the box longer than they did the toy. But what did we do? We spent more than we made and now we have debt. We have silly debt, debt on things that when we bought it, its worth went down, but because of interest, its cost went up. And now we've lost our wiggle room. We've lost our margin. One missed paycheck and this whole house of cards comes tumbling down. And when we don't have financial wiggle room, it makes us worried. And when we're worried, we go out and spend a little bit more and what we make, because we want to be able to consume in the future what we're already consuming today. Our worry actually changes. Our worry becomes that we won't be able to keep up with the lifestyle that we have bought with the illusion of credit. 
with the mirage that credit offers us. We want to know that we'll be able to spend money in the future like we are spending money today. We're worried about future consumption, and so we are now consuming more than we can afford. We cannot afford it, and if you're buying things with credit, I am telling you, you are sending yourself to a dark, dark place you do not want to go. I hate debt. I hate debt not because I'm smart and have it all figured out and got it all together. I hate debt because of my past experiences. I talked a little bit about, ago about giving to people who want to go through financial, universe, financial Peace University. That's something that Chelsea and I have committed to doing. Anybody at the church that wants to go through, through Financial Peace University, we just kicked off a small group uh, last month. Chelsea and I pay for their kid. It's $100 per person. We pay for that. I want you to not have any barriers to going through Financial Peace University because I'm telling you, I've been there. We will never go there again. Forget debt. Zero credit cards. It's not going to happen ever ever, ever in my house. Well, I was hoping I'd get a lot more amens on that one. But we get into debt, nasty, gross debt, and it's consumer debt. And I'm not talking about owning a house. We could debate about that, what it means to afford a house. I'm talking about consumer debt and charge cards, and then I'm talking about your fancy car. Ouch. I'm talking about those 22-inch rims talking about that sound system, and I know what I am talking about. I kid you not. Jason, what was my first car? A bay, or the first car I bought on my own, the beige Thunderbird. The stereo system in the car was worth more than the car. That's not an exaggeration. I had a $9,000 stereo system in a $7,000 car. Somebody say stupid. I give you permission. It's okay. You can say that. To me, at me, it was stupid. The only good thing about that is I didn't need an alarm system because nobody thought that stereo system would be in that car. I did it. I've been there. We get into silly debt, but then we have no margin for future consumption. Our checks are gone, and that just makes us worry more and more. But I want us to look past this. We get stuck in this cycle. People get stuck. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Does this look familiar to anybody? Can I hear an honest amen this morning? We do. We get locked into this. I want us to look at what is driving this thing. What is behind this cycle that traps us and twists us? What is behind this is a way of thinking. It is an assumption that if it comes to me, it must be for me. I assume that everything that comes to me is for me to consume. Everything that comes into my hands, I am supposed to spend. Anybody ever heard that saying, I got a dollar burning a hole in my pocket? Man, that was me. Man, that was me. Now Chelsea doesn't give me any dollars, so I don't have to replace my pockets anymore. Everything's good. But just think, think about this. Think about this. How much more money would you need to stop spending everything you make? How much more money would you need to stop spending everything you make? Would you need 10% more? Would you need 25% more? If you went into work tomorrow and they give you a 25% raise, if you went from $32,000 a year to $40,000 a year, would that be the magic number? If you went from $40,000 a year to $50,000 a year tomorrow, would that be it that you'd say, you know, okay, now I can stop spending as much money as I am making? No, that wouldn't be the number, would it? 
Because we get that raise and we go buy a new couch. We go buy the latest TV. We go upgrade the car. We go shopping. We go on vacation. Why? Because we are assuming that everything that comes to us, we are supposed to spend on us. And here's the other thing. I bet we could, if we kind of played that game, we could come up with a number. Like if you made double what you make now, you'd say, okay, yeah, if I made double, I could spend less than what I make. I I imagine that. But here's the thing. You're never going to get that much money all at one time. You're never going to double your salary in one interview with your boss. Come on, you went in to ask for a raise last month, and you actually ended up making less money when you walked out of there. My last four years working at Sprint, they told me, you're capped out, you're capped out. I come from a Bay Area pay scale to working in Sacramento. They say, you can't make any more money because you're tapped out at the Sacramento pay scale. Oh, but by the way, your health insurance is going up every single year. So my last four years working at Sprint, my income went down every single year. And I went and talked to him. I told him how valuable I was, how smart I was, and brilliant. Like, you need me on this team. And he said, yeah, sure, you and the next three guys right after you. We can't get that much money all at one time. But here's the thing. This spending more than we make, it's not a lack of money problem. You want to know what this problem is really all about? It's about self-control. It's about self-control. Look at our consumer debt. How much money would you need to make, how much more money, to stop using your credit card? How much money would you need to make to decide that the next car you buy, you are not going to finance, you are only going to pay cash for? How much more money would you need to make? And the thing is, this is not that you don't have enough money. The problem with consumer debt is our contentment levels. We're not content with what we have. Those marketing people are geniuses. Man, those Apple ads come on the the TV and like beautiful people are dancing around and I want to be a beautiful person that dances around too. So I have the iPhone 8. It did help me dance. No, I won't do it. I won't do it. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Think about it. How much more money? Now let's go to the no margin side. How much more money would you need before you stop spending everything you make and actually started a savings account? actually started putting away towards your retirement and started saving for your kid's college or maybe just change their last name to a Hispanic last name so they get, you know, a scholarship or something. Can I hear an amen? Like light bulb. (laughs) I'm half Mexican, half white, so half of me just says, duh. The other half thinks it's brilliant. It's just amazing. How That one flopped. But it's not a money problem either. Over here, this is not a thing. It's a self-discipline problem. It's a discipline issue. We don't like setting aside that money, talking to the money before our bills do, making sure that money goes to where we can't spend it. Come on, somebody. You know that you overpay on your taxes because it's the only way that you can ever. Uncle Sam is your savings account. Yeah? No? How many in here get a big refund every year? Let me see you show your hands. Man, we are in the minority, Chell. I can't believe that. I was planning on taking a big offering with everybody that got a big refund, but... (laughs) 
it's not going to work. <laughs> it's me and Valerie. <laughs> I am hungry, sis. If you're looking for some place to spend it, just let me know. But really, for worry, just like the rest of these things, we will never make enough money to stop worrying. Can I hear somebody say, I will never make enough? I could find somebody that makes 50% more than you. I could find somebody that makes double what you make now, and they still worry because worry itself is still not a money issue. All of these things are spiritual issues. All of these things are spiritual issues. Your self-control and your contentment and your discipline to do things to get you to a desired result. All of those things come down to a spiritual issue inside each and every one of us. And when we read the teachings of Jesus, it was so brilliant. Jesus knew all this. He understood the root of all of our problems and all of our worries. And when Jesus talked about worry and finances, his solution was never for us to save more money. Jesus never said, if you're really worried about your finances, start a big savings account now. What Jesus taught us is the reason that we worry is because we are trusting in ourselves to solve our money problems. I'm trusting in my ability to get a raise. I'm trusting in my ability to find a better job or to make more. I'm trusting in my ability to plan where my money's gonna go. I trust in the money that we can, I trust in the money that I can provide instead of trusting in the one who said he will richly provide everything that I need. My problem is a spiritual issue. My eyes are on myself. My eyes are on my own hands. I need to get my eyes off of Jared and get my eyes on Jesus. Does anybody agree with what I'm saying this morning? This is a faith issue. Come on. We couldn't trust ourselves yesterday. Why do we think we can trust ourselves tomorrow? Doesn't it make so much more sense to trust in a heavenly father? who said that if we will put him first, that he will provide out of his riches in, his, in glory. But, but we don't, and we hold on to money, and we pull it tight to our chest, and we don't want to let it go. And, and I, I just, I, I'm excited about talking about this because I think that Jesus, the thing that Jesus cared most about when it comes to our finances is to get rid of our fear, to get rid of our worry, to get rid of our anxiety over this life and the way that we live this life, but to live our life walking in the peace of Jesus Christ and the assurance that God has our back, yes, but God also has our future. And he holds it in his hands, amen. Everybody say, Jesus, turn around and tell somebody close to you, Jesus is tired of healing your fingernails. He's tired of you biting on your nails and stuck in this cycle. Listen, this is crazy. Get out of this cycle. And we're driving ourselves crazy because we think that what we need is more money. But this is not a money problem. This is a spiritual problem. And this is Jesus. Jesus shows us this and Paul showed us this. The answer to all of this is to get our eyes off of ourselves and to start living for something greater than ourselves. We will break this cycle when we are more in love with what God is trying to do around us than we are in love with our own comfort and technology in 2018. 
That's what Jesus did. He lived for the mission. That was the whole reason he came. This is what Paul did. He lived for the mission. He said, my life is about the mission. So generous people have learned not to give when there's a need. They've learned to break that assumption, that consumption assumption, that I assume that everything comes, that comes to me is for me to consume, that everything that is placed in my hands is for me to consume. But you know, preacher, if you just convince me, maybe show me a sad picture, tell me that it's really urgent, then yeah, I'll take of what is really meant for me, and sure, I'll give some to you got it wrong. We're thinking about us. We're not thinking about him. And so we randomly give some of what we normally consume for ourselves. We had planned on using it for ourselves, but sure, I'll stop using it for myself this month. I'll stop using it for myself this week, but I don't know about next week. And no matter how many or how few zeros are on our paycheck, this way of thinking was what Jesus taught against whenever he talked about money and finances and greed. What Jesus taught us is that greedy people assume that it's all for them to consume. But we don't think about this when we think about greed. When I said the word greed, your mind went to Scrooge McDuck. Your mind went to a rich old man in a bank vault somewhere in the bottom of his house stacking gold coins. Come on, your, your mind went to Ebenezer Scrooge and the one cold and Tiny Tim, and nobody does that. That's what the movies tell us that greed looks like, but greed is seen in all people. Greed is seen in every social status. Greed is seen at every single paycheck level and even in those who don't get a paycheck. You want me to prove it to you? Give one kid some candy and don't give any to the other kid. Come on, parents. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. That one kid that doesn't have any starts going, eh, because they can't talk yet. And then they just walk over and they want some. Or even if they can't talk, can I have some of that? And what's the one that has all the candy say? No. And we parents, we tell them, share. Stop being selfish. Works too, but today I want greedy. (laughs) Stop being greedy. That kid doesn't have all the candy in the world. That kid may not even have a lot of candy. The problem is, is that kid is only concerned with keeping it all for himself. Anyone can be greedy. People with a little bit of money can be greedy. People with a medium amount of money can be greedy. People with a lot of money can be greedy. Greedy people just assume that it's all for them to consume. And Jesus talked about this. And he, he, he gave us an example. And that's what we're going to look at right here as, a, as I kind of bring this thing to a close. Jesus talked about a man that was, it was greedy. And he was just concerned about himself. And he just assumed that everything he had was for himself to consume. And the reason that Jesus was so against this is because our greed always leads to discontentment. I guarantee you the kid with five pieces of candy, if he sees another kid having one more piece of candy, what does he do? He tries to get that one piece of candy too, doesn't he? You know what I'm talking about because you have a nice car and then you put wheels on it. Mm, Well, we'll let that one go. Everybody's going to walk outside today and be checking everybody's rims. Just... Hubcaps. God bless you, sister. (laughs) Come on, you know what I'm talking about. 
It's discontentment. And then when you're discontent, it leads to debt. When you have debt, it takes away your margin. When you have no margin, you worry. So learning to be generous, learning to think about something greater than ourselves, it's the only thing that crushes this cycle. It's the only thing to destroy the greed and free you from worry in your life. So we have to see things differently. We have to want different things. And isn't that what Jesus was all about? Changing our hearts. Changing what we want, change, changing what we love. And so Jesus is walking along one day, and, and, and as he's walking along, he turns to his followers, and he, he starts to tell them a, a parable. He starts to tell them a story. This is a story that Jesus just made up. It's not an actual story. It's a story that Jesus made up to illustrate a point. It's found in Luke chapter 12, and he tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Everybody say it wasn't a money problem. Yielded an abundant harvest. And then he thought to himself, well, what am I going to do? I have no place to store my crops. I got so much stuff, I can't even park in the garage anymore. I got it all in the spare bedroom. Spare bedroom. I got a storage unit with all my extra stuff. I hear laughter. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Yes, Lord. Receive it. Receive it. I have so much stuff. And so this is what he said to himself. Well, this is what I'm going to do. And you want to know what he did before I even go on with the story? You want to know what this man did? He did what he always had done. He did what he had always done. The more money you have will not change who you are or what you do. You'll do the same things with more money that you do with a little bit of money. Being rich does not make you generous. You will do the same things, but the amounts will change. Rich people are not generous. Rich people are rich. Generous people are generous. And it doesn't matter if you are rich or not. It doesn't matter the size of your bank account. It doesn't matter how many zeros are on your paycheck or where the decimal falls. Generous people are generous. And if you are waiting to be wealthy before you become generous... Keep on waiting. Keep on waiting. But he did what he had always done because he assumed what he had always assumed, that if it comes to me, then it must be for me. So he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to upgrade my storage unit. I'm going to go buy a house with another bedroom, maybe a spare bathroom too, three-car garage. Put a shed in the backyard, not for my lawnmower, but for all the stuff I have. And there I will store my surplus grain. Now look, look, we can't honestly fault this guy for having a savings account, can we? Honestly, like doesn't this look like a picture like where we want to be? This seems like, man, this guy should get a pat on the back, right? This is where we want to be. And I'll say to myself, he said, you have plenty of grain laid up for many Many years, take life easy and eat and drink and be merry. And what is he still thinking? Save it now, consume it later. Everything that has come to me is for me. And even though I can't eat it all right now, I can't drink it all right now, what I'm going to do is save some for later, but it will, it will all be for me. It will all be for me. And think about it. If somebody had talked to us 10 years ago about where we'd be today or what we'd make today, wouldn't we think, you know, 10 years ago, our younger selves, wouldn't we think, well, man, if I get there, 
If I can make that, then yeah, I think I'll, I might be out of debt by then. I think if I, if I get what I'm going to be making in 10 years, I, I'm probably not going to have any financial worries at that point. How's that working out for everybody? Here we are 10 years later, still assuming what we have always assumed and still doing what we have always done and we still worry and we still have debt and we're still not content with what we have because everything that comes to us we assume is for us. And he's thinking I'm good and we're thinking he's good. And, but the one that designed us, church family, this is where we want to go with this. The one that designed us, the one that knit us together, the one that knows who we are better than we know ourselves, the one that knows what will make your life full and fulfilled, the one who knows what will make you happy, he has a very different idea for you. And God says to him, you fool. Now, he did not call him a fool because he was rich. He did not consume or, or, or condemn him, rather, for being wealthy. He called him a fool because the man was confused about who his wealth was for. The man could never see past himself to what God wanted to do around him. He could never see past his plenty to see the needs that God had placed around him. He thought getting lots of stuff was going to make him happy. He lived by the motto that the one who dies with the most toys wins. He thought that it was all for himself. God called him a fool because he assumed it was all for him to consume. God says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. Because we might, we might get lots of stuff, but we don't get lots of days. We might be in control a little bit about how much stuff we accumulate. We have no control over how many days that we get. We have no control when our life will come to an end, over when our life will come to an end. And then in the parable, this is so powerful, God, Jesus is making up this story, and God asks this man a question. And it's a question for him, but it's a question for me too, and it's a question for you and for us this morning as well. And he asked him, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Once you die, who's going to get what you have prepared for yourself? And what's the answer? The guy my wife marries. I hate that guy. I don't know him, but I hate him already. That's why I'm just leaving bills. That's all I'm going to leave. Take care of it. Have fun with that. The answer is somebody else. The answer is that somebody else is going to get everything that we have accumulated. But somebody else is going to get what we have, not because we're generous. Somebody else is going to get what we have because we are dead. And the stuff that we have saved up for ourselves to consume will now be consumed by someone else. And then Jesus steps out of the story and he stops the story and he looks his followers right in the eyes and he says, this is how it will be. This is going to be everybody's story. Your story and your story and your story and my story. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. That everything that you have consumed 
saved up to consume later. Everything that you have planned for yourself, that one day, circumstances that are out of your control, those things will go to somebody else. Jesus said, that is how it will be for everybody. You know what Jesus was saying? I've never seen a a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. Once you die, you can't take it with you. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? In the context of this story, it's the opposite of storing up things for ourselves. Being rich toward God is the opposite of assuming that everything that comes to us is for us to consume. And we think, well, wait, but God's in heaven and I'm down here and how in the world can I be rich toward God? And Jesus went on time and time and time again in his teaching. Parable after parable after parable and story after story and example after example. And Jesus showed us that when we are rich toward other people, we are in fact being counted as being rich toward God. When God sends blessings our way, if we will designate that to what God is trying to do around us, if we will give what he has blessed us with to the need of someone else, he says, I see it and I am recording it and you are counted as rich toward me and your story will be different than everyone else's story. And so your ending will be different than everyone else's ending. Your legacy will be different than everyone else's legacy. The life that other people value and give honor to will be something far different than what, other pe- what people see and value in other lives. That if you want to be different, if you want to change how your story ends, then you become rich toward God by becoming or being rich toward others. To living open hand. And the thing about this whole concept is that Jesus is showing us we are not owners of our money. We are not owners of what we have. If you do not control where something ultimately ends up, you don't own it. You're just a manager. You're just a steward. And Jesus is showing that we have tried and thought and behaved for so long as if we are ultimately in control when all along God is the one who orders our steps. God is the one who makes it rain on the just and the unjust, who provides for the just and the unjust who is testing us and trying us and and changing what we love and changing who we love and how we behave toward others, that we are not owners of our own resources, but God has given it into our hands to be stewards of everything that he has blessed us to do his work. So it leaves us with a question. It leaves us with a question. Since it's all going to be taken away, why not ask him to help you give it away? Since it's all going to somebody else anyway, why not ask him to show you who needs it the most? Why not take what God has blessed you with and designate those resources, designate what God has put under your control, under your your stewardship and under your management to bless and to encourage, to strengthen the weak that God has placed around you? Come on, don't we all know somebody that could use a blessing Don't we know somebody that God has placed in our life and they're hurting and they need, and it may be your money or it may not be your money, but God has given you so much. He's blessed you with so much. He's taught you so much. He's changed in you so much and saved you from so much. 
Isn't it time that we stopped looking at ourselves and started looking at the needs around us and ask God to direct us on how to direct them? Amen. Can we all stand this morning in the place? Can you imagine what life could be like? Can you imagine what life would be like if you told your neighbor that you knew was struggling that you were going to buy their groceries next month? Can you imagine if that didn't like break your bank account but you had been planning for it? Can you imagine if you went home today and came up with a plan to replace the tires on your coworker's car two or three months from now? where it doesn't break your bank, it's not this emotional thing that leaves you in a bind, but it's something that you have planned, something that you have decided that this is the way you're going to live. Can you imagine the testimony of Christ in you that that would bring? Can you imagine what they would say about your God? Can you imagine what they would say about your church and about your Christianity, about your devotion to Jesus? If you were to take the the things that God has blessed you with, And to use them in the ways that God always intended for you to use them. To get your mind off of how they might benefit you. To get our minds of of what we can spend it on. What we can buy. What we can upgrade. And instead upgrade our relationships. And upgrade our friendships. And bless the lives of those that are hurting around us. These are dark times, church. There are hard times being lived by the people that we love. And if we don't bless them, who will? If we don't love them, who will? This world is not going to do I'm sorry, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, or undecided. It does not matter. Listen to me. Don't be deceived by this bump in the economy, and I'm not being a Trump hater. I don't know what you think about him. I don't care, and I'm not saying nothing. All I'm saying is don't be deceived. It's all going to end up in the same place because it's not a money problem. These are spiritual problems. But we have received a spiritual blood transfusion. We have received a spiritual new birth, a regeneration on the end. We have power. We have the answer. And it starts with us. It flows through us. God has planned it that way all along. But you got to decide that you want to be part of his plan. you got to decide that you want to be part of what he's doing. Can we all bow our heads all over this room? Would you, would you join us and maybe close your eyes right now? Come on, if, if God's dealing with you, come on, could you raise your hand? Just say it. Just, just, just put that hand up and say, God, I know that I haven't planned this. I know that I haven't, I see your hands going up all over this room. I haven't designated this, Jesus. I haven't sat down with a calculator, God, and thought of how to be a blessing to somebody. God bless you. I see hands all over this room. God bless you. You can put your hands down this morning. I, I want us to do this. If you're new to City Grace, this might be a little bit different, but I just want everybody to come to the front this morning. You don't have to kneel. You can stand right here, but just all to join together. What if it started with us in this room? Come on, come on this morning. What if it started with us? Would you make this declaration with us this morning? Would you make this decision with us this morning? Jesus, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to bless. I'm gonna take what you have given to me and give it to somebody else this morning. Come on, church family. Let's worship him this morning. Sing this song together and dedicate ourselves to the work of Jesus this morning. Give ourselves away. Give myself away. Lord, I give myself away so you can use me. Give myself away. Oh, give myself away 
so you, oh Jesus, so you can use me. I give. God, it's not pointless. Jesus, it's not random, but I want to be used by you. I want my story to be part of your story, Jesus. I want my ending to be different than the way that I was writing it, Jesus. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, write a different story with my faith this morning. Give me a brand new ending, I pray this morning. Give myself away. Give myself away. On today, give myself away. So you can you give myself. I give myself away. Oh, yeah. Give myself away. If you know this bridge, come on, could you sing it loud with us this morning? My life is not my own. That sounds beautiful. We have been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He has forgiven our sins. He has washed our past clean. He has brought us to himself. He has changed us on the inside. We are a new creation. The old has passed away. All things have become new. My life is not my own. My life is not my own. To you I belong. Oh, I give myself. I give myself to you. Oh, I give myself away. Jesus, I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away on today. Oh, so you. In closing this morning, could you put your arm around somebody's shoulders? Could you grab somebody by the hand maybe? And just pray, God, use our lives. God, give us, direct us. We give us direction, we pray. God, show us a need and a life around us. Show us a need in the life of someone that we love, someone that we care for, someone that you have brought us close to. Jesus, that we will not be foolish and we will not live for ourselves, but Jesus, to live for others. Jesus, our lives are yours. Our lives are yours. Use us, Jesus. Give myself to you. My life is not my own to you. I give myself. Say it again. My life is not my own. I give you all I own. Oh, I give myself. I give myself to you. One last time, my life is not my own. Oh, I give myself, I give myself to you. Oh, 
I give myself away. Oh, I give my. Think about these last words right here. So you can use. One last time. I give myself away. Give myself away. Give myself. Say this. So you can use me. Come on, all over the room, can you worship Jesus this morning? All over this room, can you give him thanks and praise for his goodness in your life? Jesus, as we leave this room this morning, we thank you for the ultimate example of sacrifice, for the ultimate example of someone giving their life, giving their life away. Freely you have given to us your grace and your mercy. Everything that you had, everything that you were, everything that you are, you give it to us, Jesus, freely. You fill our lives with peace. You fill our lives with redemption and our stories, God, are redeemed by your grace so beautifully. All over this room is person after person who is a story of your gift, of your grace, of your mercy. I pray, Jesus, that your love would shine through us, that we would take ourselves out of the way, that we would take our hand from in front of the light, Jesus, to shine to the world around us, to decide that our story will no longer be about ourselves. God, that we will not be random about what we do for you, but that we will plan it. We will seek your face. We will seek your direction. We will ask for your hand and your blessings. God, not to prosper us, but God, to bless the lives of those around us. Use us. Use us. Let your beauty, God, shine through us. Let your grace and your love and your mercy be so bright that this world sees your light and they cannot look away from the Jesus that they see in us. In your name we pray. We ask for your help. All over the room said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this morning as you go and develop a plan for giving. See everybody next Sunday. Don't forget Wednesday night, our midweek service. God bless you as you leave.